We've so you, lived co-op. Yeah. <laughs> we know co-op. <laughs> we lived it, so you have more experience than I do. I really hope I don't get fired for anything I'm saying here. Even sometimes basic internships requires like, what experience do you have? Ma'am, this is an internship. I'm here to get experience. Here's the moral of the story here. Just uh, do co-op so you can get some good stories. Uh <laughs> yeah, right. Before we start our episode, the Math Ambassador team would like to acknowledge that the University of Waterloo is on the traditional territory of the neutral Anishinaabeg and Haudenosaunee peoples. The University of Waterloo is situated on the Haldeman Tract land promised to the Six Nations, which includes six miles on each side of the Grand River. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Mathematical Dive. I am one of our co-hosts, Joshua Kirk, and I'm joined by my lovely other co-host, Ina. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you, Joshua. I am Yitian Wang, the other co-host of the Mathematical Dive, but in this episode, we can just refer to me as Ina. Marvelous. And I will say, we were talking about this beforehand, actually. We've had quite the journey doing this podcast, because now Ina's actually an alumnus, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was kind of surprised to see your name on the thing. I was like, oh, you're back. I she am. Just I can't stay away. <laughs> she loved it too much. So, what can we do? And uh, you may have heard in the background there the voice of our guest. So, bonus points if you know who it is ahead of time, just from the voice. But we are joined today by the wonderful Eddie Dupont. So, Eddie, do you want to introduce yourself and what your role is at the university? Well, hello, everyone. My name is Eddie Dupont. My role is I'm a lecturer. And I'm also a co-op advisor, so I'm not sure where this conversation will take us in terms of which of those two things will be more important, but I'll do my best to fulfill the needs of your questions or whatever the conversation is, according to my skills in those areas, so we'll see. And for people that are watching this, you'll probably get a good clue about what this is from the title of this episode, because we are going to talk mostly about co-op for this. And probably the first thing to do is just make sure everyone's on the same page because some people may have never heard of co-op beforehand. So why don't you tell us what a co-op program is exactly? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, well, at first I was a little bit scared to be pegged as the co-op person because it turns out there's a lot of people involved given that we have such a large co-op program here. And so there's faculty representatives and then there's also the sort of CEE, the job side of things. So I only know, you know, half, let's say, of the things that are required for co-op, but I'll do my best. Specifically, in terms of the program, for people that have no idea what it is, it's essentially a, an opportunity for students to get some job experience, some number of terms of their time on campus. So for most students, in math anyway, you'll be doing about five work terms and some will do six. There's a very small number of students that will have four work terms, but... For the most part, you have about five opportunities to get a job somewhere in the industry that is hopefully related to your particular discipline, but it's actually more open than that. Any job that's available to anyone, to any program on campus is actually available to the math students also. And that has a benefit of if maybe you're studying math academically and you see a job that's actually not related to math, you might want to take just for the purposes of possibly seeing that Maybe you're more interested in that other discipline or at least getting a sense of galvanizing your love of math, then the opportunity is there. Of course, you'd have to have the prerequisites for it in terms of your knowledge and what have you. But at the very least, you're not 
focus, and this is one common mistake that students make when they first start, you're not required to take say math jobs if you're in a math program. So you find that out pretty quickly once you start looking, but it's not a requirement anyway. Now, most students will want to do that. It's a whole purpose of, for them coming here to study those things. But the shorter answer to your question is, if you're studying math and you want to be in the co-op program, you're going to have some opportunities to do work via a system that's on campus that will help you find those jobs, basically. I'm actually curious to know like how you got into the position as a co-op advisor because we've previously had talked with Colleen Victor, who oh, was okay. just a advisor for the faculty. So how did you get to become a co-op advisor and are there any different trainings that you have to go through in order to be one? That's a very good question because I would have thought there would be some real you know, involved training or some skills that you would need, but that's not really the case for the part of the job that I work in. The people like me and even Colleen, actually, you mentioned Colleen, and she is also now a co-op advisor. I'm not sure how long ago you talked to her. So maybe you talked to her prior to that transformation, let's say, but she also helps with co-op too. But in, in any event, the particulars of this job are not so much that you need to know too much of recruitment or anything about employment laws or anything like that. My side and our side, the faculty side of it is that we have to help students along in their requirements as a part of the math faculty. The co-op program has academic requirements to it. So there's these things called work reports, which I'm sure you, you know, and there's PD courses and then there's sequencing, and then there's the actual course availability for your particular program. And so all of that ties into what my role is more so than what I think the average person would assume is a co-op advisor, which is the job side of things where people are, I assume trained, although I'm not one of those people, in actually recruiting employers to hire Waterloo students and actually connecting with employers around the world to actually you know, list their jobs on our, on our Waterloo Works, on our job posting site, right? And there's other types of people that work on that half of the question or that half of the story, which is people that need visa permits and those types of things to travel abroad, to be able to work in various countries and so on. So all of that, you probably need some training for, but that's not my part of it, right? My part is more upholding the faculty requirements. And so there wasn't really too much training per se, although I guess I came at it with an already several years of knowledge of the faculty policies. So it's sort of like knowing the law of the land in the faculty already, and then now adding on this different uh, co-op piece. I guess a better comparison would be you learn the basic math degree requirements as an advisor. Say, like, oh, you need to take these courses, math 135, whatever. And then you, you upgrade, if you want to call it that, or, or side grade, I don't know, moves laterally to doing advising in say CS or stats where you have to add on a few more requirements that students now need to meet, right? So you learn about all the various requirements, things like PD courses and work reports and those things that I'm sure both of you love. Oh, we love very dearly in our hearts. Yes, right. <laughs> Let's not talk about them ever again now. Yeah. Yes. Um. <laughs> I'm glad that I have graduated and never have to touch either. I mean, professional development is actually really serious. Like it's really useful for any profession. Like It's in hard to appreciate, I think, as a student, because like you're there for a short amount of time, right? Generally yeah. speaking, in a job. So like you're there four months and you're basically developing professionally the whole of those four months. 
Like you're learning a new thing and you're just trying to learn what's needed. And in four months, you know, there's some amount of excitement. It's like when you have a baby, not that maybe either you don't know this, but- Oh, we can definitely relate to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I... Sort of a honeymoon period of, well, this, you know, I cannot sleep at all for three weeks because I have this baby and I'm like, like excited and all and what have you. So you learn for a long time, several months anyway, the ability to uh, live in these circumstances. And there's some excitement there. And, and so you're sort of developing as a parent. So it's a different kind of PD, it's parental development. And the same thing happens at a job. You know, I've worked at different jobs also. And after about three-ish, four months, they plateau a little bit. It depends on the job. Not all of them are like this, of course. But after some amount of time, you're going to want those professional development things, if nothing else, then to reinvigorate or give you some variety, right? But I will admit that in a co-op setting, you guys have short terms anyway. So there's not, you know, yeah. it's like you've been there for three years and now, okay, now I want to do something different to mm -hmm. boost my skills, right? Yeah. And like, I'm speaking this as a student, not representing math ambassadors, but like, I think the students dislike for the PD courses with on top of having a full-time co-op job and then like possibly another course it seemed like it's not as useful as learning the ways of working in a professional setting from just working in their co-op job it seems like it's a bit vague but we're not here to talk about and vent about PD <laughs> no that's probably a reasonable conversation to have with someone that has more power than I do in actually seeing how those particular things can be shaped maybe, or us doing an evaluation. Every now and then things need to be reevaluated or there's program review, I guess. They do this every seven years or something like that. So it's always worth going over that kind of review of a particular program, what could be included, but I don't have that data nor have I done that program review, so I, <laughs> I could trust. Yeah, that's a, a conversation for another day. And you know, we only have half an hour left. So right, okay. can't <laughs> open that can of worms because it's a deep one. I think there were two things that you brought up before that I kind of want to dig into a little bit deeper. Sure. And this kind of goes back to also talking about Colleen as an academic advisor, right. where like you mentioned, a lot of it is knowing some of the more admission and logistical information around how your program fits into your degree. You need right. to know about all the requirements you have and then probably guide students with that. But we've also heard from Colleen that a lot of it too was like moral support versus logistical support for students. And so does that ever come up in your role as a co-op advisor? I started off as an academic advisor. So that's how you get a good sense of, I think all of us had to, to some extent to like get, as I mentioned earlier, the basics of the faculty policies that you know how things work and then you branch off into doing other things. And so during that time, I had a lot more students that needed the moral support, as you call it, because they were just doing poorly or they might not have known where they were headed in terms of their degree. So once I switched, there was a period of time where I was doing both and that turned out to be a disaster just in terms of time sync. It was crazy. But so I moved on, I dropped the academic part and now only do the co-op side. And there hasn't been as much of that. There's been people that have seemingly needed some kind of support, have essentially asked questions that are very easy on our end, but they might seem like we're moving mountains to them. And so it's a very nice feeling. And they're like, can I please do this? Because I really, that to give us a big, long story. Like I need this to happen so that I can live here and then do this and do this other thing. When really it was just like, they want to move their fourth work term up by four months to, from where it was scheduled. And that's like almost always a yes. And so like, it's very easy for us to sort of make them feel good. And a lot of them will come back with in the email chain or whatever. And it's like, thank you so much. This means a huge amount to me. Like, I'm so thankful for this. And 
and it feels nice even though i didn't really have to like twist any arms or anything like that so there's honestly not a huge amount of, of moral support that's needed on the co-op side there is definitely a lot of people that want things that they think are going to be tough and it turns out they're not and so we are helping more than we're hurting i think for a lot of students and it's in some sense it's almost the opposite of academic advising because when you're doing pure course-based advising, like based on their grades and, you know, you want to plan their schedule and that kind of thing. From my memory of it, it's been a while, but from my memory of it, and even just talking to colleagues that still do it, it's not like they can change a grade, right? It's not like you go see an advisor and you're like, I, I got a 65, what do I do now? I'm like, well, here you go. I'll give you a 75. And now everything's great. Whereas when they come to us, we actually do approve different things that allow them to feel better. That is a good part of the job, but I didn't really think about until you asked me that question. So I'll bring that to my other co-op colleagues to just let them know that we're helping people for the better. And you're Very the magic true. genie that yeah. people yeah, go I'm, to, and then you grant them their three wishes. <laughs> yeah, we, we get three sequence changes every year. And, that's and then all the co-op advisors are just sitting there thinking, man, you should have wished for something better. You know, this is yeah, so... Yeah, I know there's <laughs> more things you could have done. This was actually just a form. In the future, it will be approved automatically. We just haven't developed the system yet. <laughs> so yeah i don't have anything that's like uh, thank god i was available kind of thing for the students but to a few students it does possibly seem that way but mm -hmm. um, i'm not really moving mountains despite what they might have experienced or felt like they experienced yeah still a good feeling to get all those things still yous, a good feeling you're right it's still a good <laughs> and, feeling and you get that one student that's just very grateful way more than they should be and they say something like oh i'll send you a christmas card every year or i'll name my firstborn <laughs> son after you you know I normal was, things like that like gifts from students it not necessarily mean anything it's just like oh the student just giving gift to the professors that year have you gotten any memorable I've, gifts you know, i've gotten at first i thought you said gif like gif <laughs> the gifts and i was gonna say i have gotten zero animated gifts oh. but i have gotten a few gifts with a t it seems like it'd be a lot easier to give out animated gifts. So I should, <laughs> I should encourage people to send those in our emails. That would I, I'm composing an email right now as a thank you gift gift also <laughs> for you. Yeah, so <laughs> a gift gift is totally reasonable. I would very much appreciate that like on the weekly or even on the daily. It should be one co-op student that does that or one email to our co-op account. Oh yeah, I, can I, see haven't, that. I haven't really gotten gifts, you know, I think twice. Someone gave me a chocolate at the Christmas time and... 2014 i remember that year because of the office i was in at the time and someone gave me something from their some sort of box with a whole bunch of tea bags yeah i've gotten a few gifts yes. <laughs> no gifts awesome well i think uh pulling this back to co-op a little bit more then I think our discussion has had some mixed reviews i guess in terms of attitude towards some things of like maybe pd being a bit annoying and you also mentioned it's kind of short work terms too. So then maybe a good question to just ask in general is like, why should someone do a co-op program in the first place? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. This is this is meant for new students, right? This is the point where we're trying to... Yeah, yeah. We don't want to scare yeah. them away too much. Only yeah, yeah right, right, right. So co-op is important. We get like so many people that apply. And I think the vast majority of them, I don't have the admissions data. My sense is that most people apply to co-op when they come here and they apply to Waterloo for co-op because they already know about the program to some extent. And so in case you don't know anything about it and you didn't even know it existed, you should definitely apply 
because it's sort of like one of those aim for the moon and land on the stars or no aim for the stars and land on the moon or whatever that's saying it now shoot for the moon if you missed your land on the stars kind of thing because if you do get it you can also just switch out of it it's not like you're forced to stay in it so you're better off at least going through to try out a co-op job or really any job is going to be better unless you have a long-term aspirations of only doing school which is very unlikely for most people so everyone's going to want some job or need some job after some amount of years of school and if you haven't done any work at all as a high school student which is not uncommon these days then it's good to get some experience so there's no reason to not at least try to get into the co-op program i'm just trying to think of the situation you would be in if you're a student applying saying no i don't want to do co-op because i really don't want to work like well but then why are you going to school okay well you're probably going to school to get a job so unless your answers to that flow chart are no i don't want to get a job no i don't want to go to school to get a job then you should try to get into co-op i can't imagine a situation why you wouldn't at least want to do that other than like i said you being a full-time school-based human i know some people just like learning like you know full-time student yeah like, no i know i'm not saying you don't there are people like that there are certainly people like that and so for those people you know that maybe co-op probably isn't for you but there's a large majority that are going to be doing work after they finish so let's assume that everyone is going to be working which i think is a reasonable thing to assume then this gives you the opportunity to try different jobs in different areas both of the country or the world in different industries for a short amount of time right and so this is how it gets pitched not to just you guys when you're already here to new people but it's just it's a very obvious benefit being able to sort of not only make connections with in various people uh, in various companies but to actually physically do different things in physically different places to give you all that variety and all that experience to help you at the end of it all if nothing else you have that experience that's i know just a good life experience even if you go on to only doing school the rest of your life and never working somehow or winning the lottery and never working you at least have that experience you can tell some stories but of course the benefit is that later on when you do go to graduate you can lean back on those experiences to actually help you get a more full-time position not just because you have the work experience but also because you likely have connections good connections hopefully with those places and people and you can leverage that to work there again if you wanted to of course And a lot of people will do that, right? They'll go especially near the upper years, like 5th and 6th work terms. They'll go back to the jobs that they sort of worked at at those places and that's a very common thing to do. I am those people. I'm right. doing that right now actually for my I last have, term. I, <laughs> have, I have done that. All right. There you go. It's a good yeah, it's great. And here's the moral of the story here. Just uh, do co-op so you can get some good stories. Uh <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> Now, you touched on this a little bit in what you were just saying there. You said there's actually a lot of people that maybe don't have experience working coming in to university. And I've heard this a lot from students that are in their first year looking for their first work term where they're terrified. They don't have a big padded resume that has 2 years of employment history and thousands of extracurriculars. What advice do you have for people that are in a situation like that where maybe they're starting to get a little anxious about looking for a job? I mean, look at this economy. Oh my god. Yeah, and especially in this workforce where everything requires experience, like even sometimes basic internships requires like what experience do you have? Ma'am, this is an internship. I'm here to get experience. Yeah, it's a funny thing for me to look at. There's only like a blip 
in the statistics when it came to COVID. But prior to everything sort of turning around, I was always impressed by the numbers that we were able to get that students, and I say we were, we didn't really do the work. Like we just provided the listing, but at the end of the day, it's the students that have to impress the employer because the employers could very easily just say, I don't want to hire anyone, right? They could interview whoever and just hire no people. And that does happen sometimes. But the statistics have always been so impressive to me, even if they were above 50%, I would have been like, that's good. Most of our students are getting jobs, but the numbers are always been like 80 to 90% of the people applying to jobs. And they're often even higher than that. A lot of them are like high nineties in some terms are getting employed. And I was, it's just always fascinating to me that there's this much work for this variety of students and the employers are happy to have them. So I don't know exactly what happens, especially at that first year level when you don't have any experience. We do have mechanisms on campus that will help students. So I can talk about those in a minute, but at the end of it, when I see the data, I'm just impressed and, and happy that it works out essentially that most people get jobs. There's always a few hundred that don't, which is, you know, it sounds like a lot, but there's a lot of people that go out to get jobs. And so that's a lot of people. Like if you, if you lined up a hundred ish people and they kept saying, I didn't get a job. I didn't get it. Like every week they would come see us. It sounds like nobody's getting work, but at the end of the day, it turns out uh, most people, a large majority of them are. Now for those people that do come by and ask questions like this, well, some things have changed now in, in recent terms because of COVID, but in the past, and it's still available now, we have these different systems to help students like boost their resumes. There's a Center for Career Action, it's called on campus, that helps students with their resumes and interview skills and job searching skills. And I've only heard good things from the students that I've redirected to there. So that helps people that are totally new and haven't had any work experience and really have no idea of how to build the resume. And now more recently, and this is a hot topic, so I don't know how much I want to angle this as being good or bad, but it's, it's relatively new and it's meant to be a backup plan, but we've built this thing called We Accelerate, which maybe you've heard of, but at the end of the day, if there's no other opportunity, then this We Accelerate program helps students build up skills in a setting where they're not getting a job necessarily, but it helps build the resume to do things that a large number of employers are looking for so that when they go out to their next job search, they'll at least have something on their resume so that's a new thing. It's very new. It's still in a pilot phase. So there's a chance that it might not even exist, but I imagine some variation of it will hopefully stick around because it does help students. It's great to hear that most people do get jobs. So I did a little bit of digging and you got both your bachelor's and master's in math from Waterloo back in the ages. The dark ages is what Ina means there. That's what the tone sounded like. The dark ages. But like, did you do co-op when you were here as an undergrad? No, I I didn't. I was more of a, well, I can tell you the quick backstory of the jobs I did do. I did work. But I didn't do co-op because I wasn't in a co-op program and I just ended up doing school and I just had my summers, quote unquote, summers to find jobs. And that's fine. People that aren't in co-op can also do this, of course. It's not like you need co-op, but there's certainly a lot more opportunity to find work through the co-op program. So I would certainly encourage people to try. It certainly doesn't hurt. But personally, I worked for the government for my first two summers. I could speak French which is very helpful when you're trying to get a job in a government position in Canada anyway. And so I worked at the border for two summers. That was a very popular 
university student position. It was like a, a requirement. It was like students in university can apply for these summer jobs. They were just catered to being summer jobs. So I had already known about this prior to coming to Waterloo. And so I did that for two summers. And then afterwards, I did a bit of music job. It's a weird way of saying it. I had a, a music job, which is a weird thing because most people don't have music jobs. It's not really clear what that is. Like working in the music store or creating? No, no, I, Rock and I, roll star. <laughs> it was, so, well, it's sort of in between. So I'm from Niagara. So when I worked at the border, I worked at the Niagara border. So there was a lot of tourism in Niagara Falls, if you've ever been there. And so there's a lot of music. So I also grew up playing music. And so after my second summer of doing this border job, a friend of mine knew someone that worked in one of the restaurants there. And so for the whole summer, I just played music for my job. Two summers of being an entertainer, I guess. What do you play music-wise? And I also just want to note, like, this sounds a lot like some co-op back history I've heard from people. If they have a wide assortment of random jobs, even being yeah, a, no, You mentioned absolutely. this before, you can do anything and. I know yeah. people that have been like beer salesmen, like that's a job posting that goes up on Waterloo Works. So <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I never even looked at all the different jobs on there. There's like so many, I'd be curious, rank the weirdest jobs on Waterloo Works. That would be a good poll or project. list to put on Buzzfeed mm -hmm. or something, but yeah, on Reddit. <laughs> right. So I played keyboard for those two summers. Now, when I was younger, I played drums for a few years and then my parents got upset that it was too, I mean, they bought the drums, so it was their fault. After about three years of playing, they just thought it was too loud. So I guess I liked hitting stuff. And so apparently piano, I never took like classical lessons. So I don't know if this is true or not, but apparently piano is a percussive instrument. I mean, you do smack. So that, it was a good transition, but I had to kind of practice for a while to get that. Do you still play? Yeah, I still play. I mean, I don't play now at places that would give me any money. <laughs> uh, because it's just but family. like do you play for your family yeah i play like uh, you know i used to play every day a little bit but now it's probably like once every few days every week would I, you play uh, a theme song for a small math podcast based out of the university of waterloo <laughs> theme song eh i should have to okay i'd have to try and come up with something <laughs> we're very bare bones right now we haven't even published these yet we're basically recording things for a rainy day your hopefully guess, we'll have yours uh posted uh sometime before the end of the decade the last thing i would want is to hear my own episode i really hope i don't get fired for anything i'm saying here <laughs> but i'd rather not hear it we were joking at the start of this that the very first episode that i had recorded for this was last december and the people that did it, they had asked about sharing it with their family and friends because they thought it was such a cool thing. Okay. And so I said, oh, yeah, we'll get this published, you know, by Christmas. It'll be my gift to you for the new year. And then here we are <laughs> one Christmas later. And Ida reassured me that, like, you didn't say which Christmas you were talking yeah, about. So it's okay. You didn't say it's which okay. Christmas. So, like, yeah. you could say this is a Christmas gift for a decade from now and it would still be valid. Yeah, yeah, just don't attach any years. I don't think anything I said was very year-based. I mean, I mentioned COVID. Other than that, I think everyone's going to know what that is, regardless of when you talk about it. So Yeah, there may be a bit of an editing point for uh, this whole section, because we've broken many fourth walls at this point, I think, now. That's okay. As if we well, haven't before. broken any fourth walls before. I, I've listened to several podcasts, and, you know, if you just enjoy the various types of banter that occur uh, now. I don't know if you're looking to get into the school, if you're going to enjoy this or not, but oh well, I guess you'll find out by the numbers when 10 yeah. years go yeah. up. Uh, since uh, I know we're coming up on time, we have fun 
wrap-up questions that we like to ask everyone. All right, yeah, go for uh, and it. We've been asking all of our guests what their favorite thing to get at the Mac Coffee and Donut Shop is. <laughs> My favorite thing there, it's got to be the donuts. Not just because it's in the name, but that's really my go-to thing. I'm mm. just such a donut guy. You might have noticed from my email picture. <laughs> I don't know if you have Outlook, yeah. but if you do, I've been using donuts. Since the dawn of images on Outlook, <laughs> I went directly to a donut. Now, are they the most unique thing there? Not really. I guess what I do like about the C&D is their variety. Yeah, I hope they're going to stick with that. Like just various ethnicities, Jamaican mm. food, and they have Indian food, and they have Chinese food, and they eat had burgers that were wrapped up that I never ate, like <laughs> hamburgers and a wrapping. But yeah, probably the donuts. They're just good. And the next one, we've asked a few non-math people this one, and it's been kind of funny listening to them try to scramble for an answer for this. But is there any random mathematical fact or random unknown mathematical gem that you really like sharing with people when they ask about math or computer science? Oh, that's an interesting Sometimes, and this only occurs to me when I'm in the middle of doing it. So I don't like have these stuck, you know, like uh, in a library that I can just pull out whenever. And so mm -hmm. it's usually in the middle of teaching something, I'll be like, oh, did you, did you realize this? And it only occurs to me then, but because you asked this and I, it just happened to occur to me, like when we're drawing on a plane, like you can never draw, like there's no such thing as a point. If I'm trying to like draw a coordinate on a grid, mm -hmm. like here's a point, but it's not actually points don't exist in the sense that as soon as I draw it, it's no longer a point. Like it already mm -hmm. has dimensions that are greater than what a point would be, right? And so sort of theoretical, right? But like, there's at least some sense of comfort that a lot of students have when they draw things like, okay, I get it because I can see what's happening. And the moment you tell them points don't exist, when you draw, like you can't draw a point really then it, it sort of shakes at your foundations of, well, what do you mean I can't draw a point? Like, here's this point, here's that point. Yeah. Like, no, you can't draw a point because if you draw a point, you're actually drawing some width and some height. And like, there actually is some segment of a line there and that, or, or a shape even. Mm -hmm. So like, I guess the message is points don't exist. Yeah. The physical math is different from the theoretical one. I have an, right. I have an annoying one for, you've probably heard this question. It's, one of those dumb kind of brain teasers of like, how many holes does a straw have? Some people go, oh, there's the holes at the two ends or there's one long hole. And right, technically right. in theoretical math, it is true that there's one hole because you can study something called algebraic topology and then you can prove that that is literally just one hole. But uh, I'm the jerk that points out that in physical space, in the real world, technically every object you have is discrete. It only comprises finitely many things if you were to break it down as like atoms or the pieces of the atom. Right. So actually it's a discrete set, which has zero holes. So in fact, the age old answer to the question is that a straw has zero holes. If you think of it as a physical object, instead of something drawn on like a page. Right, right. I thought you were gonna say it has an infinite number of holes. Cause like one atom to the next. Yeah, like everything between, has holes, an infinite number of holes. holes between one atom to the next, but I guess you have, you have to count the space in between the parts mm -hmm. that make up the straw. If you include the complement of the straw with the straw, then how many holes are there? <laughs> All right. Welcome to our fourth year theoretical math class, everyone. Okay. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed. And then this last one I threw in because I guess I haven't even mentioned this. Eddie Dupont actually was my teacher for CS115. So intro to computer science way back in the day. I doubt he remembers me because I don't think I interacted with him, but I sat like in the middle of the lecture and 
mostly worked on the assignments during the lectures, actually, if I'm being honest. Oh, you're one of those type of people. Yeah. Fine. That's a good time. That's a good time to do it. Yeah. And I was just like half listening kind of. So sorry, but I was curious what your uh, go-to letter is for a variable. What would be my go-to letter? This is not going to be that exciting. Is it different? Like, like you also teach math courses, so is it different? I, yeah, I mostly, yeah, I mostly teach math. Not CS. I actually haven't taught for a while, but I'd probably say S. Okay. Okay. Like, if now I don't make functions of S, not often. But if I had to use a different variable that wasn't one of the say standard ones to sort of identify something, it'd probably be an S or a B. No, you know what? It's B. It's definitely B. I love B. What be. is it about B? Yeah. I don't know. I'm just thinking of all the questions I've made over the last four or five years on assignments when I'm trying to like put a parameter in a particular question, it's always B. I don't know why. I just love B. It's just maybe I like Bs. Yeah. If I'm teaching multivariable calculus, I'm going to be using X, Y, and Z. So it's obviously the answer is X because you know you start off learning X. Yeah. But that's not my go-to. That's sort of the one that you, you default with. And then if I had to come up with one because I need a letter to show someone something, if I have to parameterize something or I had to make a variable where a variable once wasn't, then I would use B. Awesome. I love that answer. I was not expecting that. I don't know what I was expecting for this question, actually. I don't even know what my like go-to would be either. I, I think be... I would go with alpha. I don't know. Like, yeah, alpha no one, one, Greek I'll go with alphabet alpha. Yeah, I was thinking like maybe eta, xi, also z, the Greek letter. I see them a lot more because I do number theory stuff. And so I've written out so many of them <laughs> and now my brain just kind of is obsessed with them, I guess, you know, who needs the English letters? We need other alphabets. So much cooler. But I guess that's all for time. Thanks so much for doing this and have a great rest of your day. Yeah, all, right, no have fun. all right. Take care guys. Bye. Bye.